0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of the
1: rising sun. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And we're back, baby. (laughs) Season two, let's go. After five long months. It's been that long? I didn't even count. It's been that long. And I want to thank everyone who reached out and or donated in that time. We got a lot of great messages. And it's your support that keeps us going. So thank you. Yeah, it's really great to hear from people,
0: or even just commenting on our posts. It's uh, really fun to see the interaction.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of good emails. And uh, if you did send us an email and it took me a while to respond, I apologize for that. There were times when I wasn't super diligent at checking our email account.
0: Don't, and, don't apologize, Jason. Okay. I, I haven't back. checked the email account ever Ever. Well, you don't even have the login info. That's my job. <laughs> I never even asked for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so don't, okay. don't
0: take this all on you. All right. You do a great job.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thank you.
0: I've got... Can I interrupt up to you again? Yeah. I've got a confession to make Jason. Okay. You know, on the last episode when we said we were taking a hiatus, I was like oh, here's what I'm going to do during the hiatus. And I said, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to dedicate my podcast time to learning Japanese. Uh Not one time, (laughs) not even once in five months did I study Japanese.
1: I also have a confession, Paul. (laughs) All right. Because I think I agreed, you know, I was going to try to do the same thing. We were going to study together. Yeah, that was the idea. And we got together and watched anime. That's something. We, we watched yeah, okay. it with subs, not I, I, dubs. I, I did hear some <laughs> Japanese being spoken. Yeah. So I, I was actually planning on spending that time to work on music a bit. Because I make music. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You made all the music in the podcast That's that true. you That's true, I did. But what I actually did for the last five months was play a lot of video games and not really play any music. I sang like for fun, like karaoke. but. Nice. Uh, And also, all the video games that I played, like most of them were in Japanese. So I feel like I did actually get a little bit, you know, better at at listening to Japanese. Okay. So it's something. There you go. Anyway. But yeah, the reason that I kind of missed a lot of emails for a little while there was for some reason, this email account is like the only one that automatically would log me out so I wouldn't get notifications. Ah,
0: yeah. I don't know why that is. It's uh, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, Let me check. Oh, I see. I see.
1: Anyway. But yeah, we got a lot of good emails, and I actually wanted to start the episode with a couple announcements about changes that we have made in response to listener mail. Oh. So first is we had a listener reach out to suggest some sort of index For our episodes, so that they could easily find past episodes that they wanted to re listen to, you know? Sure. Because I guess I had always thought, like, you know, if people have their podcast app pulled up, they can just scroll through the episodes and look at the title or whatever. But yeah, but we got a hundred of them. Right. That's a big number. So I've created a new section on our website called Episode List. Nice. And on this page, you will find a list of every single one of our episodes. And they're sorted by category. So we have attractions, we have cities that we've talked about, culture, food, regions, and travel, like stuff specifically about doing a trip to Japan. So I think that's going to be helpful. Yeah,
0: I think it's a great addition to the website. Well done, Jason.
1: Thank you. And thank you to the listener that brought that to my attention because it's a good idea. Uh, Another listener suggested that we add the names of things and places that we talk about to the episode notes. Because a lot of times, like, maybe you're listening and we mention some Japanese word and maybe you don't know how to spell that, so it's hard to Google it and get more information about that. Yeah. So, I think I've wondered
0: about that before. Yeah. And I never thought about a solution, I was just like, hmm, I wonder if people can look up all the things we're saying. Especially if we're talking yeah. about history
1: and I'm butchering some name or something. <laughs> well, I feel like Google is pretty good at like figuring out what you're trying to spell if you just kind of try to sound it out.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for something famous enough.
1: Yeah. But still, I decided that going forward, I'm going to try to do that when we release new episodes. Put kind of a little outline And put, you know, the Japanese names of things that we talked about and a little blurb maybe to remind you like, oh, this is, you know, this place, this little onsen town or something like that. That sounds great. And hopefully at some point I'll have time to go back and do that for the past 100 episodes, (laughs) but it might be a while. Don't hold me to that. Other announcements, we should probably talk about the future of the podcast. Like what's going on? Are we just starting up same as it was before? Mostly, but not quite. We have
0: seasons now. Yeah. This is season two now, and it's not going to be 100
1: episodes. (laughs) Right. It's going to be 10 episodes. The episodes are still going to be released every two weeks, so 10 episodes is going to last about five months. And then we're going to take a little break, reevaluate, come up with another list of 10 fun topics. You know, I don't think we're going to want to... take a five month long break but we just want an opportunity to kind of slow down and recharge yeah speaking for myself i enjoy doing
0: the podcast but having the deadlines and having to just keep doing it all the time it's nice to have a little break yeah we did it for what like two years straight Two and, and a half, two and a half like. where we just kept consistently putting out episodes so i think this would be nice to be able to uh weeb out for a couple months in between to come up with new ideas and get re-inspired.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about these episodes we have coming up. I think we got some really good topics and a lot of them are listener requests. So if you have an idea for a topic you want to hear, reach out. Yeah. I don't want to talk it up too much because we're not going to announce the list right
0: now, but... We got great topics. All of these, All of these topics I'm excited about.
1: Yeah, and that's when we do our best episodes, I think, is when we're really excited to talk about these things. We can talk about what this episode's going to be about, though. We could. (laughs) I don't know
0: if we've mentioned that yet.
1: Yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. I mean, the big question that's been on a lot of people's minds for a long time is, can I go to Japan yet? That's going to be our first big topic. Besides that, there's been a lot of Other interesting stuff going on in Japan lately that we want to talk about. Some current events type stuff. What else we got, Paul? Uh, That's what we got. (laughs) Current events. Can I go to Japan? We're going to talk a little bit about the tourism industry in Japan. We were going to talk about, I, I guess they also kind of are current events, but things that relate to topics that we've covered before. Little updates or interesting things that have come up since... Those episodes? Yeah, exactly. Oh, and I have a listener mail I want to read at the end. Ooh. It's a good one. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we should just dive straight into the big question here, Jason. Can I go to Japan yet? Um.
1: Well, <laughs> the short answer is yes. But All right. a bit a real big butt here oh there are a lot of strings attached, okay so technically, Japan actually reopened to tourism on June 10th, but the reason we didn't do an episode about it until now is that there were a lot of restrictions that made it pretty unappealing, frankly yes. at least for me i I you know, I've been really excited to go to Japan, and I could have made a trip, but there are just so many things. It made me. It's just not worth it yet.
0: Yeah, so the big holdup there for me was basically, to simplify it, the conditions were you had to go to Japan with a guided tour and a travel agency. And as far as I understood it, you had to be with them at all times. Mm-hmm. There was no exploring the city or I'm going to decide to do this or that. You were with somebody all the time. Like, even if you wanted to go to the Kabini across the street from your hotel, your tour guide came with you.
1: Yeah, and like, for me personally, my favorite thing about visiting Japan is just that sense of adventure and exploration and being able to go towards anything that you saw that looked interesting.
0: Yeah, tours can be cool, and travel agents are great. Yeah, we did the Mount Fuji tour guide and the... Gahara lava forest hike. And that was a great day. Yeah. But doing that every day, get on the bus, we're driving here. Here's what's going on. Like, we like getting out there and exploring and trying to figure out the train stations on our own and walking around finding restaurants. I, I wouldn't want to miss that.
1: Yeah. You need a little bit of freedom. So to give a little more specifics on what it was like starting June 10th, you had I mean, in addition to what Paul just said, you had to jump through a bunch of hoops to get a visa because that wasn't automatic anymore. Uh, you had to get tested for COVID. There was a cap at 20,000 people arriving per day. Which they didn't get close to because yeah. there
0: were so many hoops to jump through that just very few people actually took advantage of that program. Yeah,
1: I got some stats later on okay, about okay, that. But, so, Paul, like you said... It sounded like these tours were supposed to be guided to the point that you had absolutely no free time to yourself. I actually read a firsthand account recently from somebody that went, and they said that they did have some free time after the tour guide dropped them off at their hotel. Okay. They even said that they had an entire free day in Tokyo. Okay. So it's not as bad as it originally sounded. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And it might depend on the travel agency, you know. Sure. Sure. But, okay, so let's get to the, the big stuff, because we just got news recently. There have been some changes that are, mm, is it exciting, Paul? <laughs> I don't know how. It is exciting. It's exciting that they're making progress, but I'm, I'm still not sure that I want to go until things loosen up a little bit more.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I'm still worried about is taking a COVID test. Not that I mind, but what if I plan my whole vacation? And I fly to Japan, and I land at the airport, and I test positive. Whole vacation gone. Like, what, what, what? do you even do with that? You just gonna they put you in a hotel or something for two weeks until you test negative, and you fly home. Like, I would worry about that. Have you had your booster, Paul? Have you had three shots? I've had three, two with the first one, yeah, and then one more, yeah. But it's been like I don't know a while since I had that one.
1: You wouldn't be required to take a PCR test, though, under the uh, current conditions. But okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I, have back to, up I would bit. have to find my VAX card that I misplaced. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I have a picture of it. I promise. That might be
1: good enough. <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely have a picture on my phone. But okay, let's, let's back up a little bit. <laughs> let's back up a little bit. Um, okay, so Japan's Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, he announced that starting September 7th, they would be lifting some of those restrictions that have been in place since June. For one thing, they raised the daily arrival cap to 50,000 people instead of 20,000. Not a huge deal, because like you said, they weren't anywhere near hitting that 20,000 cap anyway. But as I just mentioned, you are no longer required to take a PCR test if you've received three shots of an approved vaccine. Okay, that makes me feel better already. Yeah. The biggest news, I think, is that now you can go on what they're calling non-guided package tours, no matter what country you're coming from, too. But before you get too excited, it's not 100% clear what that means. And either way, there are still some other restrictions. So, Paul, I wanted to ask you, because I had a little bit of trouble doing my research for this, because it feels like, I mean, every time Japan's rules change a little bit, it's like there's an official announcement that's really vague, and then a bunch of news outlets report on that and kind of interpret those words in their own way. And it's like, okay, well, it sounds like this is what the situation is going to be like. But, like, until there's something more official or you start hearing from specific travel agencies and stuff, it's like, it's not really clear how this is going to work.
0: Yeah, it is difficult to get really good info on exactly what the conditions are. I did go to the website of the U.S. Embassy in Japan, and they did have some notes on it saying basically you can travel now, you have to get an e-visa ahead of time, and they had a link to where you could go to start that process. They said it could take a while to be approved and that you do have to be sponsored buy a travel agent or be part of some sort of pre-authorized travel group. Mm -hmm. But what I've kind of heard is that as long as you get the sponsoring from the travel agent, you can get in. I think they might still have to like book your hotels for you and things like that. But you have much more freedom. Like once you're in the country and they got you in and they got you your hotels, you're good to kind of run around and do what you want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's more or less the impression I got. I kind of cross-referenced a bunch of different articles and uh you know, I th- I think we got it more or less locked down, but they they kept saying like, "Oh, there's going to be more information coming out in the next few days before the- September 7th." And then that never seemed to actually happen. I didn't see anything more recent. So, let's break it down. First, I want to quote the Japan Times. They had this kind of paragraph about it that I think is pretty good at just laying it out there. They said, quote, non-escorted visitors on packaged tours will be allowed in from September 7th. That includes more flexible tours offered by travel agencies that only include flights and hotels and can be booked by individuals in contrast with the strict group tours that have been permitted since June. With the eased restrictions, the only tourists who won't be allowed will be those who want to stay in accommodations not offered by travel agencies in their package tour bookings, such as private rentals and smaller inns, as well as backpackers or others who don't want to book hotels in advance. So I think that gives you an idea of like the type of vacation that you're able to take right now. Yeah, for me, that's good enough. I'm sure there's
0: some people that would wanna backpack or just bum around and figure it out as they go and
1: I don't mind booking all that stuff in advance. I normally do that anyway. But let's go on because there's there's some other stuff. Okay. So one big thing is you're going to need a travel agency to act as your sponsor. So what this means is they're going to book your flight, they're going to book your hotels, and a big part of their role is that they're going to keep track of where you're going to be. Like the government is basically putting them in charge of keeping track of you, and reporting anything that goes wrong, you know, if you get COVID or something. So they're going to be your main contact if anything out of the ordinary happens. You're going to be able to call your travel agent. That's what they're there for. You're also going to need their help to get your visa. You can't just show up in Japan and automatically get a tourist visa. So how this works is that you work with the travel agency to plan your trip, And then they have to declare each of their travelers to the government through Japanese Immigration's ERFS system, E-R-F-S. Did you see anything about that, Paul? Not really. So E-R-F-S stands for Entrance Returnees Follow-Up Systems. So the agency gets this authorization form from the government called Uketsuke Zumisho, and then the agency takes that, passes that along to you, and then you need to submit that along with a bunch of other paperwork to actually get your visa. So it's a bit of a process. It takes some time. You got to plan it all out in advance. But the good news is, if you're coming from the U.S. or Canada, there's this new e-visa system that allows you to apply online instead of needing to show up at your nearest Japanese consulate or embassy in person because that was what i heard back in june is like you you still you know you had to go through this whole application process to get your visa and you actually had to go in person which would mean that you and i would have to drive down to chicago wait in line i mean even if you have an appointment and you show up it can still take like 5 hours i want to say Something ridiculous. Like, it can still take a long time, and it's just, you know, you got to take time off work to get all this done. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. (laughs) A lot of hoops to jump through still. A little easier than it was. We're moving in the right direction. Yes. And hopefully, you know, I mean, this is a decently big change between June and September. That's just a few months. So maybe in a few more months, maybe early next year, things will loosen up even more. I'm really, I mean... I got to get to Japan next year. It's got to happen. <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah. So if you're planning to go to Japan soon, my recommendation is do your research. And, you know, normally I love doing research for actually figuring out where to go and what to do. But this type of research, figuring out how to get through all this red tape, that's, that's not as fun. It's a little stressful. <laughs> yeah. So I have a few resources I can recommend places to go to get more information. Okay, One of them is Reddit. There's a Japan travel subreddit, which I think is a great place to get info because it's, they're, they're very on top of the current situation and the latest news. It's basically just a giant community of people who really want to go to Japan. So they have a lot of great links to official websites where you can get the details from the source. And if you run into trouble when you are doing your research, it's basically just a giant message board so you can ask for help and other people that maybe have more information can help you out. So the address is reddit.com, that's reddi tcom slash R slash Japan Travel. And I'll put a link in the show notes too. Another good resource is the website for the Japan National Tourism Organization. That's jnto.go.jp. I'll put a link to that as well. That website can help you locate specific agencies that can help you get to Japan. And of course, once you find a specific agency that you're interested in working with, you can ask them directly. I'm sure they will have all the details, but they might be a little slammed right now, of course, with this sudden news. Speaking of travel agencies, if you're going specifically to Kyushu, Don't forget about our friends, Simon and Mu, at their Kyushu-based travel agency called Kyushu Journeys. They're great. Yeah, great people. Very passionate about Kyushu. They know a lot. Like, I mean, they're locals. Uh, Their website is KyushuJourneys.com. And if you want to hear more about them, we interviewed them in episode 54. So check that out if you're curious about what types of things they offer. Uh, Also check out their Instagram, Kyushu Journeys. They have a lot of great stuff. They're always just exploring and doing fun stuff. Yeah, all the time. And before we move on, I also want to mention that everything we just discussed, all these rules and stuff are specifically for tourists. If you're visiting for work or as a student or visiting family, maybe, there are different rules for these different situations. So don't just trust everything that we say if that's your situation. Be sure to do your own research. And even if you are going as a tourist, it's a good idea to not trust us and do your research because things are changing quickly. So one
0: thing to keep in mind if you're traveling to Japan soon, the Japanese have a very strong mask culture. So with COVID going around, you're
1: probably going to be wearing a mask almost everywhere you go. Be prepared for that. I think I saw recently that the government was actually telling people not to wear masks outside outside. But most people still are, just because, why not? It's an, it's kind of a normal thing in Japan anyway, mm. so why take it off, you know? Yeah, I don't know if I was ever wearing a mask outside, that seems... Well, but Japan is so... I mean, especially in Tokyo, the streets are packed. True. You know, you're going to be in close proximity to a lot of people if you're walking out of Shinjuku Station or something. True. I
0: always just feel comfortable in the open air, but who knows, right? Yeah. And I know... Japan's always had the culture where if you are not feeling well, you wear a mask and courtesy to those around you. These days, it's more like if you're not feeling well, don't go outside, right? But yeah, keep that in mind. If you're inside, for sure, you're you're going to be wearing a mask unless you're in like your private hotel room or something. And currently right now, there are no countries or regions that are not allowed to go into Japan. But that could potentially change at some point if there are flare-ups of COVID here or there. Maybe they say this country can't come or that country can't come. So keep an eye on your country's embassy and see what they're saying because they always provide good information for people of their own countries on where exactly they're at.
1: So Let's talk a little about how the tourism industry has been doing. It might not surprise you that Things haven't been going that well. <laughs> I mean, they were hoping that that soft reopen in June would help, but you know, people aren't that interested in a fully guided tour. Surprise! Not surprised. No. <laughs> you got some numbers. I think you said I on do. that. Yeah. So we talked about how that twenty thousand people per day cap. Yeah. Was kind of silly because not anywhere close to that many people wanted to actually go. So for the entire two months between June and the end of July, there were only 8,155 foreign tourists that visited Japan. Wow. That is not many. They could have all shown up on one day, (laughs) and it still would have been less than the daily cap. So I think one of the major factors that went into this recent loosening of restrictions is that the tourism industry can't really survive otherwise. And I would like to make the distinction
0: between international tourism and domestic tourism. Good point. There's a very healthy domestic tourism industry in Japan, and they've been doing fairly well. Like your local onsen, a lot of people are going to go there. But cities like Kyoto that tend to attract a lot of international tourists and other places that have built up an international following are suffering much more than other places maybe.
1: Yeah. I did see that hotel, I mean, obviously, there are domestic tourists staying in hotels, but a lot of those rooms are normally taken up by international tourists. Hotel debt levels in Japan have more than doubled since 2019. Wow. Uh, I also saw that in July, there was a tourism marketing firm that did a survey where 72% of respondents said that they would or were likely to give up on visiting Japan if the current border controls remained in place. Yeah. That's most people. Yep. Yep. I've
0: got a few numbers. Hit me. So the government of Japan for a long time has targeted tourism as an area for economic growth. In 2019, Japan reached its peak for the amount of overseas visitors arriving at 32 million. That's a lot of people coming to your country. Yeah. And they projected about 40 million visitors in 2020, the year they were hosting the Olympics. And that, of course, did not happen. They eventually ended up holding the Olympics without tourists. And they had a goal of 60 million international visitors per year by 2030. So, they're way off track for that ever happening. And there's a huge economic impact as well. In 2019, there was 3.8 billion US dollars generated by international travel to Japan. So, that's a lot of money. There is a big economic impact that happened from this. Absolutely. I also heard, even though they're starting to open up now, it takes a while to get that momentum back. They're projecting at least a couple years
1: to get back to where they were. It'll be interesting to see, like, once we actually get to the point where they lift all the restrictions and, you know, that situation goes back to normal. Cause I always thought once that happened, you'd be likely to see just a flood of people that have been waiting this whole time, watching closely, you know, really wanting to go back to Japan. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, but people have gone other places instead or, you know, you use your PTO
0: eventually. Like I'm not going to hold it forever. Hoping I can go to Japan.
1: Yeah. And you can't just roll over your PTO for years. I wish I could, man. That'd be pretty (laughs) cool to take (laughs) off six months at a time. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh, I have some other obstacles that the industry is still facing. So one is that flights are still relatively expensive to get to Japan. They're using smaller planes than they did before the pandemic. Mm. which means there are less seats available. There's also less airline staff available, which means there are less flights. Also, fuel. Yeah, (laughs) fuel prices can't be helping. Yeah. I also saw that some agencies are worried about this whole new unguided tours idea because that basically means that they need to have someone on call around the clock to receive calls from clients. You know, if somebody gets COVID and they need to call the agency, they need somebody to answer the phone. And they might need to get interpreters. They might need to set up alternative accommodations. That's a lot of extra work for a travel agency. And they could actually end up losing money, depending on what happens.
0: Interesting. That is a lot of extra work. They do have the advantage of everybody has to come to them now. You know, you and I have both been to Japan multiple times. And I don't think either of us have ever worked with the travel agents, so they are going to get more business. They're going to have to find a way to try to make some profit out of it. Mm-hmm. It might help now that they don't have to actually be there with you all the time. You know, they can make a commission on booking your flight and the hotels and a service fee just for doing the whole thing, maybe. They'll have to figure that out, but it's going to add extra cost to people traveling to Japan, too, I would assume.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully these new rules are going to help as of September 7th. And another thing that could help is that the yen is actually extremely weak right now. Have you looked at the exchange rate lately, Paul? Last I saw, I think it was about 130 yen to a dollar. I looked, I think, yesterday. It was 144 yen to the dollar. It's been a long time since I've seen it that high if when ever. was i don't I don't even know when the last time I'm pretty sure I've seen it in the 130s before on most of my trips to Japan it was around a hundred ten to a hundred twenty yen per dollar
0: that's what I kind of remember too and it was unless you were spending a lot of money it was an easy conversion a hundred yen basically a dollar
1: mm-hmm
0: being off 10 or 20%, if you're talking about $100, is a little bit different. But if it's five bucks, five, 500 yen, five bucks, easy, no problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, for small purchases, you might not notice a huge difference. But when you're talking about hundreds of dollars for a hotel or something, that's like almost a 50% difference in the price. That's crazy. Yeah. And even just the everyday stuff, 300 yen to
0: get on a train. 800 yen for a quick meal. All that stuff is like 800 yen? Oh, that's only like five bucks now. Like, yeah, nice.
1: It adds up. I I mean, I really considered just getting $1,000 in yen and holding on to it for whenever I can actually get to Japan. I heard the euro is really weak right now, too. Mm-hmm. Good time for U.S. travelers, at least. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend Speculating on exchange rates. It's pretty much gambling because you never know which direction it's going to go, you know? I wouldn't even think of doing that. I suppose people do, though, huh?
0: All right, so we're going to talk about some current events now. And probably the biggest thing everybody's heard about is the assassination of Shinzo Abe. Shocking. the former prime minister of Japan.
1: Yeah. So first of all, we should introduce him. Who, who is he, right? Shinzo Abe was the prime minister from 2006 to 2007, and also between 2012 and 2020, making him the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history. Pretty influential guy. Yeah. And I
0: remember from the times before him, The prime ministers were changing very quickly. It seemed like every year they had a new prime minister in Japan. He was the first stability they had in that position in a while.
1: Yeah. So on July 8th, 2022, Abe was in the city of Nara delivering a campaign speech for a candidate in his party when he was shot from behind by a man named Tetsuya Yamagami using a homemade shotgun I mean, that's shocking in so many ways. You know, For one, there's almost no gun violence in Japan. So the fact that he's shot is almost unthinkable. And the fact that this gun was homemade. Because basically no one other than the police and the military can even purchase a gun in Japan. They're that highly regulated. Well, in that regard,
0: once you know somebody was shot, I guess it's not too surprising that it was a homemade gun. I guess. But it's not what you would maybe think of yeah the whole thing was incredibly shocking there were videos of it all over social media like immediately i think a lot of that's been scrubbed now and there are some images you could probably go find the video somewhere on the internet but Mm. it was like open twitter like whoa what am i watching right now oh my goodness
1: yeah it was crazy before somebody emails us and tells me i was wrong about the gun thing There are exceptions for hunters and target shooters. They can get guns, but they're still, they're very highly regulated.
0: Yes, yes, they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, this guy, just hearing those very first facts that he made a gun himself specifically to shoot Abe, it would seem to imply that he was pretty determined. He'd been thinking about this for a while. This wasn't a random event. No, it wasn't. So one big question that has been in the media a lot is why did he do it? Well, he actually pretty quickly told investigators exactly why he did it. So Abe and his family had political ties to a group, an organization. You could call it a church. They call themselves a church. It's called the Unification Church. And Yamagami blamed this church for ruining his life, essentially. His mom belonged to this church and gave them tons of money over the years, like around a million US dollars, which bankrupted the family and caused Yamagami to grow up in poverty. And he, I mean, it sounded like for most of his life, he's just been harboring this resentment for this church.
0: Yeah, he couldn't continue his studies as a young man. He ended up joining the Japanese self-defense force. He blamed his whole life not going the way he intended it to on the unification church swindling money from his mother. Yeah, And he had been trying to kill or assassinate a high-ranking member of the church for a long time, and he gave up on that because most of them were based in South Korea, and he had trouble getting there and trying to commit an assassination there. So that's when he turned his sights on Abe. Mm
1: -hmm. So I wanted to talk about this group a little bit, the Unification Church, because I think this was the first time I'd heard that name But once I started looking into it, I realized that I had heard of this church before. I just heard of them by a different name. The Moonies. Yeah, the Moonies. I'd heard that before too. I remember learning about them in school. I want to say high school probably. Hmm. Interesting. I remember being told that it was a a cult where a Korean man named Sun Myung Moon basically claimed to be Jesus. Which is not 100% accurate. You know, once I started looking a little deeper, but it's, I mean, it's close Apparently the official story is that Jesus came to Sun Myung Moon on Easter Sunday, 1936, and asked him to continue his work. He's like, hey, you know, remember that whole crucifixion thing that happened to me? I kind of didn't have time to finish up everything I wanted to do, so I'm, I'm putting it on you, buddy. You're going to carry on my legacy. So basically, yeah, he, he says that he's the second coming of Jesus in a way. One of the core
0: tenets for the beliefs of the Unification Church is the serpent seed interpretation of original sin.
1: Uh, okay,
0: give me more. So they believe that Eve was sexually seduced by Satan, which contaminated the human bloodline. Okay. And this actually ties into one of the things they're most famous for, which is their mass weddings.
1: Yeah. They have these events, these huge events where they marry a ton of couples. And it sounds like a lot of these couples are even arranged by the church. Like it'll take a couple members and be like, you guys look great together. You guys should get married. And guess what? We can even marry you ourselves in this mass wedding thing. Like I saw stories of people who are forced to join the church by their parents, and then the church finds them a partner. So it's like their whole lives are hijacked in a way. Yeah,
0: when they do these mass weddings, they believe that this ceremony is removing the couple from the lineage of sinful humanity. So maybe it's kind of like a rebirth in a way. Also, this one blew me away. To give an idea of how influential and how big this church is, they had one of the largest peaceful gatherings in human history. They had 1.2 million people show up to an event in South Korea in 1975. What kind of event? He probably preached. I didn't get a ton of details about what happened. Hmm. But they're also big in the United States. They're in all 50 states in the United States. Wow. Wow. But they're also very involved in Japan as well. In 1988, they held one of these mass weddings where 2,500 Korean members were matched with 2,500 Japanese members and they were all married together in order to promote unity between the two nations. Wow! So in a way... That sounds nice, right? Sure. But then I kept researching, and oh boy, here we go. Can't wait for this. According to some historians that have looked into it, Japan has provided about 70% of the Unification Church's wealth, which is massive in the billions of dollars. Wow. And one tactic they use to get money out of people is called a spiritual sale, and they do this in Japan where members of the church basically read obituaries, find people who have passed away. They go to the homes of their families, knocking on the door, saying something along the lines of, your dead loved one has been communicating with us. Oh my goodness. If you go to the bank and send the church money, your loved one can ascend to
1: heaven and be in the spirit world. That's one of the most evil things I've ever heard in my life, Paul. It's absolutely disgusting.
0: And there's apparently about 600,000 people in Japan that are members of this church.
1: I don't know what to say. I heard about a lot of people whose lives have been negatively impacted by their family members' complete devotion to the church. I that's, bet that's not uncommon. Like there are groups of people getting together and, you know, like support groups for people that have lost basically their entire family to the church. I do not doubt
0: that Yamagami, the assassin of Abe, really had his life affected by this church. Yeah. Obviously you can argue that. That doesn't necessarily justify him assassinating somebody, but you can see how this could lead to desperation and eventually violence. These people are preying on
1: vulnerable people, at least in that scenario. Can I preach for a moment, Paul? Preach, brother. You can't excuse murder. Okay, let me start there. But I think it's really important to try to understand the motivations behind these types of crimes, because once you label a person as crazy or a monster or evil or whatever, that's the end of the conversation. There's no more room to look into, okay, how can we prevent this from happening again? How can we make things better? How can we change this situation so that people don't feel the need to commit crimes like this? Yeah. I was actually
0: surprised that, at least from what I saw in the press, they didn't demonize the assassin immediately. There was actually a lot of reporting about the unification church, what they're doing, who they are. They actually looked into it instead of just writing this guy off as some crazy guy. Yeah. Maybe because the church is out there far enough that they're like safe for mainstream to like kind of. Out a little bit. I'm not sure. So let's loop this back into why was a Japanese politician targeted for someone who was so mad at this church? Well, Abe and his family have long-standing ties with the Unification Church. Shinzo Abe's grandfather was actually a former prime minister of Japan. His name was Kishi Nobusuke. And he had long-standing ties with the Unification Church. So I remember when we were talking a little bit about the governor race in Tokyo, how you have to get volunteers for your campaign to drive your political campaign forward. And this church seems to have leveraged that. A lot of politicians seem to have ties with this church or be in bed with this church, and they would get money for their campaigns, and they would get boots on the ground, basically members of this church working for their campaigns or volunteering for their campaigns, kind of helping drive the whole political machine in Japan itself. That's scary. Just to give an idea of this, I saw in Abe's fourth cabinet that 10 out of the 20 members of his cabinet had connections to the unification church for a relatively small church, that seems staggering and unproportional, doesn't it? A little bit. So something's going on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this assassination highlighted these close ties between the church and the Japanese government. And, I mean, basically ever since, Japanese politicians have been doing whatever they can to distance themselves from the church. I saw there was a recent survey that found 87% Of Japanese citizens believe that the ties between the church and the ruling Liberal Democratic Party are either an extreme problem or something of a problem. Wow. Only 4% believe it's not a problem at all. Wow. Look at all the
0: politicians run and scramble now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in a way,
1: did he succeed his goal then with
0: this assassination?
1: It could be argued. So the new prime minister, Fumio Kishida, he's been getting rid of those people in his cabinet that have ties to the church, and he's instructed other lawmakers to cut ties to the church. I guess time will tell.
0: Is this for show or is this theatrics that sometimes go with politics? It's hard to give up the money and support. Yeah. How do you get reelected? Where does your campaign strength come from? Exactly. We'll see. But... It's definitely a danger zone right now for Japanese politicians. Yes. All right, Jason, let's move on to a lighter topic. Yes. Mostly lighter. I don't know if this is a super feel-good story necessarily. It could be. It's a more fun story. Yeah, they're fun. I think these next couple are pretty fun. Yeah. So we did an episode about idols. A while back, an idol culture in Japan. And it's a great
1: episode. I agree. Should it's we,
0: super fascinating culture.
1: Yeah. Should we say really quick just what an idol is for people that missed that episode? Good idea. Quick recap, Jason. Oh, is it on me? I'm throwing <laughs> it on you. <laughs> All right. An idol in Japan is essentially an attractive person. They could be male or female. Do, kind uh, of... Yes, sorry. I messed it up already, didn't I? There's more than two genders now, bro. Oh don't, man.
0: Don't don't limit this. It could be any person. I say it could be any person. In Japan
1: though, could it be? Probably. It's probably less mainstream in Japan, but I'm just going to say I doubt that there are any non-binary idols in Japan at this point. I bet there are. All right, we'll have to do our research on that. Yeah. I'm not sure Japan's that progressive. Like they've been, you know, taking big steps, but I mean, there are definitely trans people in Japan. Yeah, but idols are you know mainstream media stuff.
0: Well, let's not forget that there's thousands of idols, and some of them are very niche. True, idol. You you sometimes tend to equate idol with pop star, but it's not quite. It's not quite that way.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, now we're just being confusing. I think we're <laughs> straying away from the core of. who We know, are. I was trying. So. Oh uh, man, so idols. I mean, it's. Go, just go listen to the episode, really. <laughs> but okay, uh, how do I sum it up? Idols are people whose main job is to kind of be attractive, and not just even physically. They're projecting this image, this personality, that is supposed to draw people in and allow them to sell all sorts of media. They make music. They do concerts. They show up in magazines. They show up on TV. They might act. They do all sorts of things. The main idea is that they're trying to build this parasocial relationship with their fans and make the fans feel like they have some intimate relationship even though they don't. Yes. How's that? Does that I'd work? I'd say
0: that's good. That's the crux of it. Okay. So we have a story about a man who married his favorite idol. And just to And make- we have a
1: story about an idol who married her biggest fan. Yeah, which is just what? I mean,
0: just to make it spicier, when they got married, she was 20 and he
1: was 47. Uh huh. So we got, we got an age gap 27 years, age gap. So the idol. So sorry, sorry. Before we move on, did we say what number the idol episode is in case people want to go back? We did not. It's episode 95. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Paul. Go on. The idol's name is Yuki Tomoe.
0: She debuted in 2020 as a member of an Osaka-based idol
1: group. Dude, I looked so many places to try to find the name of this idol group. I could not find it anywhere. Everybody just said Osaka-based idol group.
0: I got the impression that they weren't like, super nationally popular or anything. It was that, kind of
1: one of those local groups. That was my guess, too. And she was 17, by the way, when she joined the group. Yeah. And the man's name is Mitsuo.
0: And he was already... A big fan of this idol group. But the moment he saw her, he was like, she's amazing. She's so new. She's already performing so well. And she's so cute. And he just immediately became her biggest fan.
1: He would actually travel weekly from his home in Oita to Osaka where she was performing. Did I say weekly? Yeah. Weekly. He literally drove past thousands of idols. (laughs) To get to
0: this group to watch them.
1: That's a five-hour trip each way by train. Longer if you drove. I assume he took the train.
0: Yeah. So basically, he's a fan for a while, and Tomoe starts noticing that he's at all of her shows, and he's at the online things that she does. And then she said one day there was a concert, and she noticed he wasn't there. And she felt empty without him. And then she realized, oh, I must like him. Because I was really disappointed that he didn't come to the show. Mm Mm-hmm. So she made the first move.
1: Sorry, Paul. Sorry to interject here. Okay. But I actually, so, you know, I found all these English language articles and they all said basically the exact same thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need more details. So I started looking up Japanese articles. I got one little extra note for you that I want to insert right here. So the way that they got closer, you know, after she realized that she liked him or whatever, is that she did a live broadcast online at one point, and he was the only one attending. So they ended up talking for seven hours. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Seven hours. I must have
1: some chemistry. Yeah, I feel like a lot of relationships start that way, you know? Especially with, you know, now in the age of online dating, it's like, maybe you have a phone call before you meet up in person, and if you really just click, you know, it's not unheard of for people to spend hours and hours on the phone just like talking and talking and talking. Time flies by. I've, I've I, done that.
0: I wish I knew how to click with someone over the phone. I can talk on the phone to someone I already know in real life. Yeah. But anyways, Tomoe made the first move. She confessed her feelings to her now husband, and Mitsuo was shocked, but responded by saying, well, let's start dating then. Seems like a logical response, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, her family wasn't super happy with this at first. Understandable. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But uh, apparently, he won her parents over by something along the lines of he promised, I'm always going to tell you where we are and what's going on. And I'm going to be super upfront about everything. And I'm really, really sincere. And he eventually, eventually won them over.
1: Yeah. They got married in April.
0: I don't have the link but I heard Tomoe has a TikTok with a bunch of followers, and she posts periodic little TikTok videos
1: of their relationship, and she's got a bunch of followers. A lot. They're also active on YouTube. I saw that Yuki said her income is now 20 times higher than it was when she was an idol. <laughs> well, she had only one person showing up
0: to her online event. I know. Uh,
1: I, I don't wonder know how popular they were. I don't know. It's you know, with articles like that, it's always unclear. I wonder if it was like a bunch of people showed up and then they kind of you know, things wound down and then the two of them were the only ones left at the end. Who knows? Who, who knows, right? But yeah, they get money from TikTok live tipping and from YouTube advertising, and they it sounds like they're doing all right. I also thought it was interesting. I saw a picture. He gets like private idol shows now at home. Yeah, yeah I thought that was, that was funny. She sings for him. There's a picture of him like sitting on the floor of their bedroom waving a glow stick and she's sitting on the bed singing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's sweet. So they still have like that idol fad relationship in a way. Yeah. But they're also married. Yeah. I, I hope they're happy.
1: Yeah, congratulations.
0: I you hope two. they're happy.
1: But it's a, it's a very interesting story. So I have another story that relates back to our Idols episode. Okay. In a way. So this one is about a virtual idol named Hatsune Miku and her husband. What? Yeah. Wait, she's married? Let me back up for a second. Let's go. Hold on. Hold on. What's going on? So let me just introduce Hatsune Miku. Again, for those who haven't heard that episode, Hatsune Miku is... So I use the words virtual idol. Essentially, she's an idol in a sense, but she's not a real person. She doesn't actually exist in the real world. She only exists in the digital world as a character and a voice. Her voice was created by this company. They essentially made this software that people can use to make music with this digital voice So, they don't need real singers or anything. They can just program Miku singing whatever they want. Okay. That's how she was conceived. Mm -hmm. And since then, her character has kind of taken on a life of its own. There are images of her. You know, if you search for her name online, you'll find all sorts of stuff from all sorts of different artists. And that's what's kind of cool is like the whole community can come together and make content about Miku that kind of shapes who she is as a character. Yeah. Is that. A decent way of summing her up, I guess. I would say so. Okay, thank you. So how'd she get married? Yeah, so she got married. Uh, what? I 20- don't can't get married, Jason. Apparently they can. In 2019, a man named Akihiko Kondo married Miku. And he has a device at home that projects a hologram of her so that he can interact with her. Okay. If you look at pictures of him, you can find like the wedding... Thing I think he's he's holding like a stuffed Miku or something like that. Okay, now I get it. I feel like I remember a story from ancient Greece
0: where some guy fell in love with a statue and married it.
1: Wow. That's actually fascinating to know that this is something that stretches back so far in time. Yeah, this guy's not the first. Yeah. So the recent news, you know, like I said, they got married in 2019. The recent news is that Gatebox, which is the company that made the software for his hologram device so that he could interact with Miku. That company no longer provides support for the software. So Kondo-san can no longer communicate with her. Oh, man.
0: That's sad. Is he like a widower now?
1: I mean, she's still there. He's got like a body pillow. (laughs) I think it's just that she's mute Mm. Mm. or something. So I don't know, like at first this sounds just like a jokey, silly news item, but I want to make a couple points here. First off, I think the idea of people marrying fictional characters is worth taking a close look at, especially since Paul just brought up that statue in ancient Greece. But, you know, even though right now it might seem like this crazy fringe thing, I think as artificial intelligence develops... We're going to start seeing more and more of this kind of thing where people start forming these intimate relationships with things that are not human, you know, some sort of intelligence or some entity that can respond to them that they can communicate with that's not human. And I think that has really interesting implications for our society. Am I going off the rails here, Paul? Yeah, I mean, have you ever seen her? I was going to bring that up. Yeah. That movie. Our body was in that movie, by the was, way. Jeffrey yeah. Baldanger. Shout out to Jeffrey. <laughs> and the other thing is that I think these types of relationships actually have the potential to help people. And I think it's important to recognize that. Kondo San says that his relationship with the Miku hologram actually helped him overcome a deep depression caused by work and fear of social rejection. Okay. Japan has a bit of a problem with hikikomori, people that withdraw from society. Can you imagine if they had these artificial intelligence friends that could help coax them you know, out of their shell? We also talked in the robots episode about how studies have shown that talking to robots can actually be therapeutic and people form emotional connections with robots. Yeah, I mean, I talk to dogs, so whatever, right? <laughs> I talk to my Roomba sometimes. Peter, you're doing a great job. All right, now you've gone too far. <laughs> Jason, that's crazy. Peter's right there, Paul. How can you that? You even say gave that? him a name. I knew you gave him a name, but that's funny. Everybody does. <laughs> Everybody you, names their Roombas? Yes, when you get the iRobot app on your phone to communicate with it, it has you give it a name. You got to name it something. Okay. I mean, I think a major reason that they do that is so that if you have a virtual assistant, you know, an Alexa or Siri or whatever, you can tell it Did Siri just hear me? I heard something ding. <laughs>
0: probably I think it was on my my pad oh. Alexa's probably. Shh.
1: <laughs> don't don't wake her up, she's sleeping. But you know, you can use that to start your your Roomba by addressing it by name.
0: Great. I don't have a name for my vacuum cleaner, but it's not a robot, so maybe that's why. Probably. I still, I'm a barbarian. I push my vacuum around with my
1: hands. You're living in the past, Paul. I, I am. Paul, how do you feel if I named my Roomba Paul? Not great. I
0: mean, I remember when you named your horse in Zelda Paul. I did do that. And then you killed it or you got, no. it, you got it killed.
1: I would never. You were like, Paul, you died. Is that what happened? Yeah, it died. Well, it was not intentional, I'm sure. I know, that. you are know? pretty shook up about it. Yeah. I, I, feel like, like, I feel like that was my best horse. That must have been why I named it Paul. Yeah. But I'm
0: like, it's your beast of burden that you're riding around everywhere. and comes to your beck and call. That's that, not it at is all. Is that what you
1: think of me, bro? It was my friend and constant companion. Okay. Until it died, because you're the main, main hero. Paul... I don't remember exactly what happened. You must have tragically wandered off a cliff or something.
0: Well, I've never
1: named anything after you. Well, I'm not I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that's good or bad. I don't know that I, I made a fake baseball team and made made you made you a player. All right. You're you're my closing pitcher. Well, oh, so I'm just making you money. Because you got ice water in the veins. I don't know. Anyways.
1: Anyway, are we done with this topic? <laughs> I think so. All right. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to mention
0: is that Japan has begun to restart some of their idle
1: nuclear power plants. Excuse me, Paul? Idle? nuclear? Idle, yes. Idle, like nuclear power plants that entertain and appear in, in media? No. Idle as
0: in they weren't using them. Got
1: it. I-D-L-E, that idle. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly, that idle.
0: Isn't English great? <laughs> let's, let's make the same word that sounds exactly the same and spell it different ways just to confuse everybody. I mean, Japan's not much better in that regard. No one is because languages aren't planned out. They just evolve organically and weird stuff happens. Yeah. But anyways, all of the nuclear power plants in Japan were shut down after the tsunami in 2011 triggered a nuclear meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi
1: nuclear power plant. Just a couple more details in case we have people that weren't aware of that. Yeah,
0: that's like 11 years ago now. I like, know. Isn't that crazy? Uh, we're, we're old, bro. That I seems remember like, it so clearly. That seems like yesterday.
1: Yeah. So 2011, there was a massive earthquake and tsunami, killed almost 16,000 people, and caused this nuclear disaster. In response, the public confidence in nuclear power dropped to record lows, and they decided to suspend operations at 46 of Japan's 50 operational reactors.
0: Not surprised after a nuclear disaster that people lose confidence in the technology.
1: Yeah, but it was also just a huge change because nuclear energy had actually been supplying almost a third of Japan's electricity. Yeah. And that's why they're going back to it now.
0: They're having energy problems. It's hard to get energy to power modern society Japan doesn't have a lot of hydrocarbons that they could just drill out of the ground. So where do they get their energy from? Obviously, there are renewable sources you could try to go to, or you could try to import more coal or natural gas or whatever, but it's all difficult and expensive. So it's tough choices any way you look at it. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always thought interesting, because I've amateurly looked into nuclear power for a long time because... I care about the environment and I care about global warming and like, how do we get to a future where we don't lose our technology but we can live in a sustainable world, right? And a ton of people will advocate nuclear power is an essential part of eliminating greenhouse gas emissions and staying a powerful society that can do what we want to do, right? And people always pointed to Japan as... They're the ones that figured out how to do nuclear power safely. Everyone kept saying that. The Japan model, do it like Japan. They're doing it right. And then, boom, one of the biggest nuclear disasters in history hits Japan, right? That's a little scary. Yeah, definitely. Personally, I am not so on nuclear power. I just can't get on board. I think a heck of a lot of people disagree with me on that, especially people in like the movement for the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, but I just really, really don't like the fact that we're creating waste that's going to stay around for tens or hundreds of thousands of years, and that's just going to become every future generation's problem and burden for a long, long time. If you go back 100,000 years in history, we didn't even
1: have civilization. Have you seen those like metal plates that they were planning? Or I don't know if they've implemented it or if this was just an idea, but I've seen something about they were going to create these metal plates that they could put over nuclear waste sites, you know, where they bury this stuff. And it's supposed to have symbols on there that's supposed to explain to people this is dangerous, stay away from here, don't keep digging. No matter what language these people speak, you know, if somebody sees this 100,000 years from now, the idea is that they'll still be able to understand, oh, I should leave this alone. I don't buy that, though.
0: Like, how are we going to communicate in 100,000 years? If you go back in time three, four or 500 years, you couldn't even understand the English people were speaking. So if we're going to go ahead 100,000 years and we're going to assume that everyone between now and then is going to be able to understand what these symbols mean,
1: I I, I don't buy it. If they show like a, a human person and then the stages of their skin melting off and stuff, and then oh, there's a skeleton now. I don't know. I'm thinking there are ways that they could get the message across. I'm not arguing that that's a good solution. I was actually thinking more of all these arguments that I've heard about, oh, well, You know, the nuclear waste, there's so little of it and we can bury it so deep and it won't be a problem. It's the same kind of arguments I've heard for massive landfills, you know, like, oh, landfills aren't a big deal because we can just pave over them or whatever, (laughs) make a park on top. And then if we ever need to go down and pull up those resources like rare earth metals and stuff that we, you know, have already mined out of the rest of the world, we just go mine the landfills themselves for those materials, you know what I mean? I don't know, just the idea of having all of this garbage everywhere. I just, I don't like the idea of having that type of relationship with Earth, you know? Yeah. I think we need to
0: solve our own problems in our own time and not kick it down the road by creating all this waste. But everyone's going to have different opinions on that. I respect people that want to go with nuclear to try to curb global warming. I, I get that. That's a reasonable opinion. I just happen to disagree. But not only are they restarting, the prime minister is talking about potentially building new nuclear power plants as well, which is even a whole different story. But that's the direction they're heading now. It's been long enough. I guess public opinion swung far enough back. Maybe energy prices have been going up and that'll, you know, you tell people, oh, we're going to reopen these and your energy bill will go down. It becomes an easier sell.
1: Yeah. Well, since you covered yourself, let me say that. <laughs> yeah, I, where do you
0: stand exactly, Jason?
1: <laughs> I'm not educated about nuclear power, you know? I mean, I know some things about it, but not enough that I would. I can confidently say it's a good idea, it's a bad idea, and maybe that's a cop-out, not taking a hard stance either way, but I have to leave it to people that know more than I do about it. Yeah,
0: it is a super contentious issue. My number one most downvoted comment on Reddit, and it's not even close. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Was uh, it was during like a presidential election. I don't even know a while back, maybe two, three presidential elections ago. I was defending the Green Party candidate because they did an AMA or something on Reddit. And a lot of people were like, why are you against nuclear? How can you be Green Party and be against nuclear when it has zero emissions, right? And people were posting all these comments about how the Greed Party's anti-science and all this stuff. And I went to the Greed Party's website, and I read their stance on nuclear, and it was very reasonable. It was basically somewhat along the lines of what I was saying, is that like it creates the waste problem, it creates the safety problem. We would just rather try to invest more in wind or solar or something else. And... I just posted basically saying, hey, if you go to their website, it basically says we think there are better choices, not we hate nuclear and everyone that does nuclear is dumb or that we're not looking at the science. And nobody nobody wanted to hear like a, a reasonable agree to disagree opinion. I got super downvoted. It wasn't even close. Hmm. I was like, all right. Never posting about politics online
1: again. Have you been using the same username like for years and years and years? Yes. Huh. Do you only have one Reddit username? I do not have any
0: alts. Wow. But I never post anything. Yeah. I'm I, not posting, uh, today I effed up, uh, here's all the details about my life that someone's going to recognize and hate me for. Like, no. That, I feel
1: like we haven't talked about this in years, because I think the last time I asked you about Reddit, you were like, I've never commented. <laughs> I rare, I very rarely do. Yeah. But yeah, from time to time. All right.
0: Actually, I don't know if they're they're, going to hear now, but uh, I found both of my brother's usernames, or at least one of each of theirs. How? The Disc Golf subreddit. Oh. There was a comment about a local course or something that they both responded to, (laughs) and
1: I, I just knew it was them. Did you start reading through their other comments and like, oh yeah, that's them. Maybe <laughs> that's Maybe. awesome.
0: I didn't read like uh, everything they ever commented, but yeah, I clicked on I clicked on their name and I ch- I checked it out. Recently. That's so funny. Although I don't remember it, I did not save them. I did not save them. It's gone now. Whatever they've posted since then, I have not. I have not seen.
1: You know, they're still making new usernames as
0: soon as they hear this, <laughs> <laughs> as they should. I hope. I hope sincerely
1: no one's ever found mine. I feel like you told me once. Maybe. And I think I checked. And I'm like, well, I never comment. So this yeah, isn't interesting. I probably haven't commented in five years. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm much less on Reddit than I used to be. Well, good luck finding any of mine. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the nuclear thing. I don't know that one time you went to the bathroom and you left some tabs open, bro. I know you're lying because I'm not that careless. <laughs> <laughs> He's got it on lockdown.
0: <laughs> anyway. So are you are you the one that you're just like, you're subscribing to all whatever not safe for work crazy stuff you want to...
1: No, no. I don't do anything like questionable on Reddit or even, I mean, any of that stuff. like I feel like some people have alts where they'll use it specifically to subscribe to all those not safe for work subreddits. I don't do that. I just have different um, usernames for different purposes. I actually have one for the podcast I... I was hoping to use it to kind of advertise a little bit. Haven't used it a ton, but if you look for SJP Podcast on Reddit, that's me. Yeah, I think I saw you've, you've made a few comments here or there. With I post some one. pictures and stuff. I try to keep it, you know, Japan-centric stuff. Yeah. But I had a couple tiny more <laughs> things to add to this nuclear sure. discussion. So I saw that public support for reopening power plants right now in Japan is over 60%. Okay. A few reasons cited for this are rising fuel prices, and they're anticipating a possible energy shortage and a very cold winter this year. Okay. And I don't know if you mentioned specifically they're planning to restart four more nuclear reactors. That's in addition to the five that are currently operating.
0: Yeah, and I think they were talking like they're planning to eventually open up a lot more and extend the lifespan of them and all sorts of stuff. They're hoping, or at least some people in the government are hoping to really get back into it is the impression I got.
1: Yeah. Okay, so next thing we got to talk about is I wanted to share some listener mail, Paul. Okay. So I've recently been exchanging emails with a listener named Mike from New Zealand and he told me some interesting stuff. That I wanted to share. What'd Mike say? Well, first of all, Paul, before we get into what he said, can you tell me what R-O-O-M spells? Room. What was that? Room. Okay. Thank you. Um, Because one thing that Mike said is that he loves your accent, (laughs) and he specifically said he loves the way that you pronounce room. Room. Can I have a bag and leave the room? People always used to make fun of my bag. When I lived in
0: L.A., And I was a shoe salesman. I'd be like, would you like a bag with that? And immediately people would be like, are you from Minnesota? (laughs) Like that word specifically, I don't know. That's just how it was. Anyone that had been to Minnesota before knew immediately.
1: Can you say it again? Bag. Bag. Would you like a bag with that today? Bag. Can I bag this for you? And what do Californians
0: say? I don't know. Maybe I talk differently now because it's weird because that was when I was newer in LA. Mm -hmm. I lived in LA for nine years. I probably got a little bit closer to the LA accent. Now I've been back in Minnesota for four years. So who knows where I am?
1: I I don't know. I feel like that is one of those words that changes a lot depending on where you are in the country because some people say like bag. Some people say beg. Some people say bag. (laughs) You know? Yeah. A lot of ways to say that A. Anyway. Anyway. I feel like the first time you said room just now, it was a little different than the ones after that. Yeah, probably because I started thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. That's why oh, I the, wanted, Oh, I
0: was supposed to be an ooh. I probably was like, room, rum, room. I don't know what I said. Room.
1: rum. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Room instead of room. I feel like
1: your your normal room is somewhere between ooh and uh, like rum or room. It's like you're somewhere in between maybe. I know you always try to like correct me when I say things wrong, and I'm always, you're not saying things wrong, Paul. I, I'm it's just always different. like
0: that's how people say it now. <laughs> it's a new thing. <laughs> Language you is heard. evolving all the time, <laughs> Jason.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be back, man. This is fun. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy recording. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the main thing I wanted to talk about that Mike was telling me is that he lived and worked in Kinagawa Onsen for a year when he was 18. Oh, wow. You remember Kinagawa Onsen? That was that one north of Nikko. It's kind of this, there's a river that runs through it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Nikko, yeah. Yeah, so he was fresh out of high school. And, you know, when he mentioned that, just offhand, I had to ask for more details. Like, that sounds like an awesome experience, right? So he said that his year in Japan was one of the best experiences of his life. I, I understand that. Yeah. He worked for a company that owned a hotel in New Zealand. Did I say, I said Mike is from New Zealand. You did. So the company owned a hotel in New Zealand at the time. So they would bring in New Zealanders to work at their hotels in Japan. Okay. And that's how he and two other young guys ended up working at this hotel. Nice. Yeah. He said, okay, I have a quote here. Accommodation and food were provided the work was long hours, but we had a lot of fun with our Japanese colleagues, a lot of drinking, eating, and karaoke after work in the local izakaya. Whoa, whoa, whoa. not to call anybody out, but isn't the
0: drinking age in Japan 20? Never mind.
1: At least we're not saying Mike's last name. <laughs> Japanese police <laughs> are going to go after I don't him. think you're as likely to get carded if you're a foreigner, probably. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Oh, so this is my favorite part. We'd often get Yakuza staying at the hotel. Oh, wow. Guys with tight perms, high-end clothing, and the odd missing finger. Oh, my goodness. They were always friendly to us gaijin, amazed at our height. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. He says, fun times. Perhaps it was naivety on my behalf, but in my brief dealings with them, they seemed fairly normal, perhaps a little more ostentatious than your normal Japanese citizen. I feel like the Yakuza could be fun as long as you don't like older money. I've heard you that know? <laughs> like, I've heard from people like hanging out with them at a bar and like as yeah. long as you don't insult them somehow or something, like they can you know, yeah. they're just people. It could be a fun time. Yeah. Um, he says and they definitely had a certain swagger about them. Yeah. They got pretty loud after being on the beers and sake all night. <laughs> but that could be said for a lot of the Japanese men.
0: Yeah, that's not unusual.
1: Yeah. So I thought that was pretty awesome. That is cool. That's a cool story. And it ties into a couple episodes that we did. Uh, Episode 79 we did about working or studying in Japan, if you want to check that out. And episode 92 about Yakuza. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Mike, for writing in. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And to our other listeners, if you would like to write in about your experiences in Japan, you can send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Or you can visit the contact page on our website, which is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Well, I think that's our last section. That's that's our last topic. That's everything that I had. Same. I guess that's it. Uh, Thank you again for all the support. We got a lot of great messages when we announced that we were starting up again. And it's heartwarming.
0: Very nice to hear.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And oh man, I know we said it already, but... I'm looking forward to these new episodes and Halloween special is coming up pretty soon. I'm really glad we're not missing a year of that. Oh, that's going to be good. We got to come back for October every year for sure. Yes. Well, if you want to reach out or donate perhaps, or get some help planning your trip, visit us on the web. I already set our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And if you don't want to donate, another way you can support the podcast is by telling your friends or by telling the world by leaving a rating and or review on whatever podcasting platform you found us on and now that people are
0: traveling to Japan again if you're going to buy a JR rail pass which we've talked about before and is a really good idea most of the time depending on exactly what you're traveling there's a link on our website you can click on to buy it and it's the same price But we get supported if you go buy it through the link in our website.
1: Yeah, we get a little commission. So that would be super helpful. That's on the travel tools section of our website. There's a big picture right there. It says JR Pass. You can't miss it. Well, what's coming up next time, Paul? We've got an amazing topic for our
0: next episode. We're going to be talking about the city of Kagoshima and Sakurajima the volcano in the bay overlooking it. Oh my goodness. This is one of the coolest places. I feel like I've said this before, but for real, this has jumped way up my list, and there is a very good chance that the next time I'm in Japan, I'm going to end up in Kagoshima.
1: Yeah, this place sounds incredible. The pictures are incredible. For me, just the idea... Of hanging out in this city right next to a volcano, and and not just any volcano, a super active volcano.
0: One of the most active volcanoes in the world, Jason. That's just awesome. That's so awesome. And it's just a few kilometers across a bay from the city. It's right there. The views are amazing. There's a lot to do in the city. You can go to the volcano. We'll We'll get all into it on the next episode. We didn't even mention the history. Oh, the
1: history. There's <laughs> so much history there. It's, yeah. It is so cool. Yes. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.